Good evening and welcome to Summer Bible School Night 2. I think there's about half of the people here as there was last night. And I just did a quick count. I think last night there was right around 100 people here and I, tonight there's right around 50 people. So tell your friends to come. <laughs> uh, tonight I'm going to start out by uh, reading some verses from Psalm 145. I don't know if you noticed on the... Um, bottom of your program that you got, but there's a couple of psalms there, and I'm just going to read from a couple of verses from Psalm 145. That's why you should bring a regular Bible, not a cell phone. <clears throat> so, Psalm 145, starting in verse 3. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another. And shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. I think that uh, verse kind of explains our idea behind getting some of the, um, not, I don't want to call them old people in our church, but older people in our church to uh, talk about their life experiences and uh, things that have happened to them and uh, share them with the younger generation. Uh, so that they can, you know, hear the story of what 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 has happened in other people's lives. Um, I know sometimes we don't share that. I remember when I was at Mount View helping older people, I would only see them when they were old. And I would go to their funeral, and you would see all these great pictures of when they were younger, and you'd be like, man, I wish I knew that when uh, when I was taking care of them. So... Don't be scared to share your story and uh, let the young people hear it. They want, they want to know what, what happened back in, back in the day. And um, there's a lot to be learned there. Um, let's start with prayer, and then uh, Alfie will come up. God, thank you for a uh, beautiful day and for the amazing weather you've given to us. <clears throat> I pray that you would be with Alfie and... Um, Alfie, as he speaks here tonight, I pray that you would bless him, give him the words to speak, and be with uh, Alvin as he also speaks tonight. I pray that you would uh, bless both of them and um, help us to uh, learn something here tonight. Praise us in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Alfie will speak first, and then uh, uh, Chris will get up halfway through and uh, tell us what the offering is about. Some of you may have heard last night. Some of you that didn't go over to the school may have not heard, so he will be sharing what the offering will be. We will have that offering on Wednesday night then. But it is open the whole time. You can see me if you um, want to give money to that if you're not going to be here Wednesday night. So, And then after that, Al, Al King will be sharing. And um, tomorrow night, Sam Kaufman will be sharing. He has uh, switched with uh, Ken Kaufman. So... Your, your programs are a little out of order now, so we'll just uh, go with the flow here. So, Alfie? Well, good evening once more. I trust the Lord has been good to you today. I'm sure he was. Sometimes we question that, but God is always good. He does, a good uh, he does a good job in taking care of his children, 
it's not always what we expect, but uh, the Lord is good. And uh, I trust that was your experience today. It certainly was mine. Uh, it's always encouraging for me when I study. I think I, I learn more than the students do or those that are listening. And uh, that's part of the thing of studying. There's so much information in Scripture. You know, the Bible is full of answers and questions and discussions and people's lives that can really encourage us and have, has a way of making us want to follow Jesus in a better way. He gives us many examples in Scripture and uh, sometimes even examples of men that could have done better, men and women that could have done better. And uh, I think God has given every one of us an option to follow him and to do it in a good way. And uh, we're going to talk about some of that this evening. Um, as you know, the subject is on stewardship this week. And tonight I'm going to talk about the, um, the subject of time, of um, regulating our time, uh, something that each one of us has. We have time on our hands. Um, it's obvious to me that some of you didn't have enough of time today because you walked in late. But really, you had the same amount of time that the rest of us did, right? So sometimes we act like um, our day is shorter than our neighbors and our brothers and sisters. But really, at the end of the day, we had the same, I had the same amount of time that some of you did, all of you did. So time has a way of, of um, teaching us lessons and, and reminding us that um, what we have in time is really... God's time, and uh, I want to talk about that this evening. If you would turn with me to um, Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, and I'll read a few verses there. It's kind of a familiar chapter. And while you're turning there, I'd like to read you a few verses in 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. It says, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. There's your word, steward. The Corinthian church kind of had this struggle of figuring out who they were and where they were going. They had issues. They had problems in the church. And Paul is writing to them and saying, you know what? You're really just servants of the Father, servants of God. He was basically saying, get your act together. Or 6 in 1 Corinthians, And these things, brethren, I have in the figure transferred to myself unto Apollos. Now verse 7, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And why hast thou that? And what hast thou that thou dost not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Now ye are full now you are rich, you have reigned as kings without us. I would to God you did reign, that we also might reign with you. So they were struggling with the whole thing of stuff and time. And now in verse 15, I'm sorry, verse 14, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. Scripture is full of warnings. I've often said one of the best things, and I tell my children this, one of the best things you can do is learn from other people's mistakes and not make them. We have this beautiful mind, if you will. It's, it's kind of entwined with a lot of veins and stuff in our brain, but we can remember things, and we can remember and think about the, th the mistakes that other people have made and don't make them. And I think Paul was trying to 
portray that to the Corinthian church. Don't make the mistakes that other people, so many other people have made. And I think he's teaching us that. Let's be careful about making the mistakes that the Corinthian church has made. Thinking that what we have, what we have as far as our possessions and so forth, is really not ours. It is God. And that is the whole idea this week of stewardship. Now let's think of a few things that we were talking about last evening. A steward is, again, not the owner. A steward is only a caretaker for the owner. Our lives as believers, we are to be just caretakers of God's things, God's time that he has entrusted to us, we will talk about this evening. Everything we do is for God. And I think sometimes as Christians, we would probably not dispute that, never would we dispute that, but sometimes we act like we really don't believe it by the things that we do and say and the way we spend our time so often. There's a quote that I read recently. It says, time is like a handful of sand. The tighter you grasp it, the faster it escapes. I think that's true. Most of us could attest to the fact the older we get, the faster time seems to go. I just turned 50 yesterday, and a lot of men yesterday said I'm halfway to 100. A few men said I'm halfway to 100. And it seems like just a few weeks ago, or months ago, that you know I turned 25, and I've now doubled that number. And before long, maybe I'll be 75. And we start to think of that. Time continues to move on. This thing we call time is really God's tool that he uses to develop us, human beings, us Christians. We have an opportunity to do something with our time, but it's not ours. It's, it's really given to us by God. We are really just seconds away from death. Oftentimes, I mean, yeah, it's scary to think of that sometimes. I mean, did you ever think about when you're going down the highway at 50 miles an hour, 60 miles an hour, somebody else is coming the other direction, you're seconds away from just being obliterated by tons of steel. It could happen so fast. And time comes to an end quickly for some people. Just a few weeks ago, gentleman that I knew well, an Amish gentleman, you probably heard the story over at the, the Amish school that just fell over and died, 50 years old, just four months older than I am, knew him well, perfectly healthy is for what they thought, 12 children, time came to an end for Mr. John. So what do we do with our time? What is, what, is, what is important to us? I think sometimes the things that we do, the things we say, the things we embrace, certainly prove to us and those around us what really is important. How do we spend our time? Someone has said the two most important days of our life, our lives, are the day we were born and the day we die. But we have absolutely no we cannot control any of them two days you have no control of your birth 
and you have no control of your death. They're the two most important days of our lives, at least that we talk about. We talk about our birth and we talk about the death. But in between that is sandwiched the thing that we call time. If you look on gravestones out back in the graveyard, there's a little line most times between the birth date and the date, of, the date of his death or her death. And that is what we call time. Let's read that, Ecclesiastes 3. Solomon writing, talked about last evening the, um, how David passed on the torch to his son Solomon and really made things easy, the transition very easy for his son. I'm going to read a few verses in the first chapter and then I'll move back to the, the third chapter. I'm going to start in the first verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man? Of all his labor which he taketh under the sun, one generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to its place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south, turneth about unto the north, it whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they turn again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath, that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Now let's turn to the final verse of chapter 2. And then we'll read into chapter 3. For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. Now chapter 3. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, we talked about a bit ago, the birth date and the death, the death date, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build, a time to weep and laugh and mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and to gather stones together and to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and lose and keep, a time to cast away a time to rend, a time to sow, and keep silence, and speak, and to love, and to hate. Look at all these time, time to do this. This is our lives. This is what we do. A time of war, a time of peace. Verse 9, what profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything, everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning. And there's multiple verses here, and I don't think I'm going to read them all. And let me go back down to the last few. In verse 20, all go in one place, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. And it's talking about the animals versus people. Really, we all die, 
And then look what he says. Who knoweth the spirit of a man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for this, for that is his portion, for who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? Time. It is a thing that we all do. It's just who we are. It's, 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 we, raise, we, we rise up in the morning, we go to bed at night, and we again embrace a new day every day. And I think it's important that we understand that we, again, are only servants of the master with our time. What do we do with our time? How can we best serve Jesus with our time? A wise man once said, you go no place by accident. Everything that we encounter, every person we encounter, is not an accident. It's, it's part of God's divine plan. Time is a critical component in God's portfolio. So if God is allowing us time, he's giving us an opportunity to work out his plan. So what is his plan? Did you see God's plan today with your time? Did you engage someone today that really learn something from you? It's God's time. Time is, is what God uses to give his plan to humankind. You know, one of the things that's interesting that people come to God at different times of their lives. But that's time working out. That's God's, piece of God's portfolio is allowing us another day and giving us another day to experience God's divine intervention. Some of you have come to God as being born again, like you were born again at a young age. Some of you at an older age. But in that, in that time, God was using the thing we call time to bring you closer to him and through people. Another point, God's sovereignty is being exposed in time. So he's showing his, himself strong. You know, we think of, of world events. Um, one of the things I was thinking of today is, is how many of you remember where you were on September 11th of 2001? Just you remember where you were. You remember the date. It's, it's just interesting how we remember that. There, there's, there, there's, I believe God was showing his sovereignty at that point. He, it was the World Trade Center. If, if some of you, I guess there's most of you remember that. Actually, there would be some young ones in here that probably don't remember that. But I remember so well where I was when I think my dad called me and said, hey, there's something going on in New York City. Um, maybe you need to turn on the news and figure out what it is. And, and it was interesting to me. I, I, can, I can drive through that spot today down on Southern 896 down below down below nine points, and I know exactly where I was when that happened. Time and experiences shape us. I was fearful 
at that time. Were you? I remember my wife said, I, I, I'm not sure what we're going to do next. I mean, we're not having any more children. This is it. I'm exposing her, but it, we had two, I think. But we just thought the world's coming to an end. It was interesting. It was like, it was a, t a piece of time, a piece of history that we will never forget. Have we forgotten that? Have we forgotten how we really were jerked around with our thinking patterns at that point? I think God is exposing his sovereignty at times like this. He's weaving and painting his image in the lives of those who do agree with his plan. I think God wants, is, cares deeply about showing us his plan, his way at times like that. Another incident I remember when the, this is even years before that, you remember when the, the Challenger uh, space shuttle exploded? 1986, I believe it was, early in the year, January, February. I remember where I was when we read that in the morning. Um, seven people, I think, the, the space shuttle took off and it, it shocked the world. And it had all to do with a little small O-ring that went wrong somewhere in that space shuttle and it, it, dis, it basically disintegrated them seven souls as they hit the ground and they found some pieces and a lot of metal and things like that later on. God uses things like that to get our attention. And I think we need to be aware of that. How can we read and understand the mind of God in times like that? There's a quote from Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones. God does not merely initiate the work and then leave it. He continues with it. He leads us on. Directing and manipulating our circumstances, restraining us at one time and urging us at another time. That was really Paul's idea to the church at Corinth. He understood that God is, things are happening in their lives, and he is allowing, he's really saying, let God deal with you, let God. Um, Recognize that God is giving you another chance and encouraging you to change your hearts, the hearts of men and women. I have four things here I'd like to um, kind of bring to our attention about things in our lives that I think um, there's four and I has to do with embracing the things that God brings our way. And the first one is, I think we should embrace the divine appointments. And I talked a little bit about that. I think some of the things that happen in our country are really divine appointments. The things that happen in our lives are divine appointments that I think should not go unchecked. Like I said earlier, there's, there's no accidents. God doesn't allow accidents. Or in other words, God doesn't bring things into our life just by accident. I think we need to embrace them and and figure out somehow what God himself is trying to teach us. And sometimes we need to ask our friends and our church brothers what God is maybe telling us and be open with things like that. One of the things when I think of divine appointments is specifically I think of like death. Um, recently Jake Diener died and 
Um, I sit in Ada Diener's class. I don't think she's here tonight in Sunday school. And I'm just amazed how that God has used that for her to reach and minister to other people. She frequently um, tells us of different people that she met and encouraged. And that's what it should be. I think there, it was not an accident that Jake had been here all these years and then it passed away. That is a divine appointment, I think, that she is embracing. And um, I think God can use that in a powerful way. Embrace the divine appointments. Our daughter, Abby, is getting married uh, here in October to a young gentleman by the name of Jeremy Zook. She's not here tonight, so I guess I can say this. But um, he lost his father seven years ago um, to, first of all, cancer and then a stroke. Uh, struggled with his life for about five years. But anyhow, recently he, he shared that story. And I was just encouraged how that uh, a family of five boys and their mom can embrace that divine appointment. And we visited them just two weeks ago. We were down at their church and stayed with them for the weekend. And I was just encouraged how that they can embrace death and be really proud of their father, what he did for them, um, and talk really good about him. And I wonder sometimes if, if we, if I understand that enough, that you know we could be snatched away, and then what would people say about me? And I was just encouraged. I think he has such a good attitude about what his father did for him and for the family before he left. I think he was early 40s or something like that, but uh, seven years ago anyhow. So just a tremendous blessing to, to, to embrace the appointments that God brings our way. Um, one more story. We have some good friends in, in Maryland that have a handicapped child. They had a child that was, um, that was normal, then a handicapped, and then about five more later. But they have embraced that handicapped child to a point like I have never seen before. And it has made friends for them, and they, they have encouraged people. And they've written books and things like that. So I think that is a divine appointment. I think we need to understand that things like that really can impact other people if we allow to. So let's embrace our divine appointments that come from God. Isaiah 42, verse 2, it says, When thou, pass, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And it goes on to say, even the rivers will not overflow thee or something like that. I think it's just a beautiful verse that um, some of us are almost underwater and then some of us are maybe just almost buried with rivers and with things that um, just want to bog us down. But I believe God wants us to embrace our appointments. And number two is, I like to help us think, cause us to think about embracing our season of life. Time has a way of making us older people. Some of us here are young teenagers, and then there's young 20-year-olds maybe, and then there's 40-year-olds and 50 and 60. But I, I would encourage us to embrace the age that God has given us. Enjoy the moment. I hear my children frequently say, I wish I was that age, or I wish I was that age. And, and I'm like, let's just enjoy where we are. You don't do that, do you? Well, anyhow, I think we need to embrace the season of life. There is people that are 
teenagers that I believe can make an impact and can show the world what their era of life can really do for them. And then there's people in young married and middle age. And I have seen a group of older people here in this church that I believe have embraced the era that they live in. And I appreciate that. You're sitting on the front rows here, some of you, and some of you's on back. So you've made um, the gray-haired lifestyle look pretty appealing. So I'm looking forward to get there. <clears throat> but I will embrace my 50-year-old today. Another thing about time that time does for us, uh, I'd like to have us thinking about embracing our unchangeables. Now, let me explain. There's things in our makeup that we cannot change. Your gender, you can't change. The world is trying to redefine gender. And it is starkly amazing how that they come up with L, G, B, T, Q, Y, X, plus. I mean, they continue to add another letter, and now it's plus, so, so it includes everyone. Embrace your gender. We have added a lot of complexity to the human race, or our country, our, our, whoever they are, have added just a serious amount of problems to the whole idea, the simplicity that God says, I made male and female. And that's the way it is. It should be that way. I think it's a shame how that people try to change their gender and make themselves believe. And um, I believe God is seriously upset with the way some people try to change things like that. I talked about uh, your age as an unchangeable. Um, another thing I think we need to embrace is our families. Our extended families. I visited with a young man recently, and I was just shocked how he talks about his father-in-law. Really? There's got to be a better way. I believe we need to embrace those father-in-laws and mother-in-laws and Cut out the mother-in-law jokes and things like that. That is a terrible thing for any Christian to be involved in. That is unchangeable, providing we stay in a marriage where God has blessed us with. And I think we need to do that. Another thing that we should embrace as an unchangeable is we cannot change, again, I talked about the age, we cannot change the era we were born. If you were born in the 1900s, that's the way it is. Or the early 1900s, it's your age. Embrace the time that you were born. And I think it makes life a whole lot simpler if we embrace the time and the, and the, the time we were born and what God really intends for us. We will be a whole lot happier people if we embrace God's plan. And that's really my fourth point. Embracing God's direction that he has for his people. Individually, it can be different. As a church, I hope we we're going pretty much in the same direction. But individually, I think it's important that we embrace God's direction that he's given us. I think I'm talking to mostly Christians here. I would hope so. But we should be pretty much on the same path and the same direction. Giving of our time. Um, 
I think we, we've, we as a family have, have just benefited so much for, from our youth serving away from home. And I think that's one thing that we need to embrace more and maybe help our youth to see that. God bless you, youth, for going and, and going to different parts of the country and, and the world and, and places like that. I, I think we have just gained so much. Uh, we can teach our children a lot, but did you know that, that other people can teach them probably just as much and reinforce what you've taught? I think as young families of my age, we need to really have a new perspective and, and generate um, some kind of a, a hunger to go into the different parts of the world. So embrace God's plan and God's direction for your life. Jesus had only three years of basically ministry on the earth. He was here for 33 years, but he really only ministered for three years. But in previous years, he still was about his father's business. So he understood the idea of time and, and, spending and, and spending time with the right kind of people. And I think that's important, that in our time, we spend time with the right kind of people, ones that can encourage us. And um, he spent time with the doctors at, what, 12 years old or pretty young. And then he was ready for the ministry that God had called him to in his later life. He, Jesus, never complained about his schedule. Do you ever think of that? He never complained about time and that I don't have enough of time to do this. I think one of the weaknesses of us as Anabaptist people is we complain that, oh, we're so busy and we have just not enough of time to do this and that. I think we should kind of be ashamed of ourselves. I think we could do better than that because we have, we've all been given the same amount of time and Jesus never complained about his schedule. And maybe we just need to learn to say no. Uh, one older gentleman told me many years ago, especially on, in, in um, serving on boards and things like that, he says, serve your time and then let somebody else. And I think it's good advice for all of us. Some of us have maybe too much to do, and I'm including myself, but I think sometimes we need to learn to say no for the sake of our families. But um, the church will go on, God's work will go on, and um, we have good people here, and I, I think we have the wisdom to do that in a good way. Jesus, in his time, one of the things that um, is always encouraging to me is um, how he laid out and scheduled his time. You know, when he, just before, or was it just, let me put it this way, he was on his way, I think if I'm correct about the feeding of the 5,000, he was really on his way for some solitary time. He was going to go do something. And uh, one of the disciples said, hey, there's a bunch of people over here who need something to eat. Can't you do something for them? And Jesus said, okay. He, he saw that opportunity and he took it. But, and I think there's room for that. But one of the things Jesus did well is knew when it was time to get away and into a solitary place and make that work. And he did that in a good way, I believe. Jesus, in Mark, he rose early, rising up a great while before dawn and departing unto that solitary place. And that's where, actually, after that, Simon finds Jesus, and then he says, hey, you know what? We better go preach in the synagogue. It's time. They need us over there. And Jesus responded to that. But early in the morning, before that, he was in a solitary place ministering and having God minister to him. And I think we need that, too, early in the morning.
Jesus always sought the Father's will, regardless of his time schedule. One of the things when we, when we think of time, and um, it's a great reading here that I'll read through. It's, it's, it's written by Malcolm Muggridge, and some of you may have read, and so, read, read some of his books. But he, he talks about time and, and through history what has happened with great leaders and have come and gone and uh, came to Christ later in his life. I think he died in 1990, was pretty much an agnostic and, and really was fascinated with the communist regime and went to Russia and kind of followed that for a while. And you may have read his books. He's read a few books. So I don't have them with me here. But um, this is what he writes about uh, the history of his lifetime which is really, I think he was born in the 1900, early 1900s, I think 1903. And this is what can happen with time in a short amount of time. And I just find it interesting. He says this way. He says, we look back in history and what do we see? Empires rising and falling, revolutions and counter-revolutions succeeding one another, wealth accumulated and wealth dispersed, one nation dominant and then another. As Shakespeare's King Lear puts it, the rise and the fall of great ones that ebb and flow with the moon. In one lifetime, I've seen a fellow countryman ruling over the court of the world, and the great majority of them convinced in the words what, I still, what is still a favorite song, that God hath made them mighty and will make them mightier yet. I've heard a crazed Austrian announce the establishment of a German Reich that was to last for a thousand years. An Italian clown report that the calendar will begin again with his assumption of power. A murderous, 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 murderous Georgian brigade and Kremlin acclaimed by the intellectual elite as wiser than Solomon and more enlightened than Acosta, more human than Marcus Aurelius. I've seen America wealthier than all the rest of the world put together and with the superiority of weaponry that would have enabled, enabled Americans, had they so wished, to outdo an Alexander, a Julius Caesar, in the range and scale of conquest. All in one lifetime. Gone, gone with the wind. England now a part of the island off the coast of Europe, threatened with further dismemberment. Hitler and Mussolini seen as buffoons. Stalin, a sinister name in the, in the regime he helped to fund and dominated totally for three decades. Americans haunted by fears of running out of the precious fluid that keeps their motorways roaring and the smog settling by memories of a disastrous military campaign in the Vietnam and the windfalls of Watergate. Can this really be what life is all about? Behind the debris of these solemn supermen and self-styled imperial diplomats, there stands the gigantic figure of one because of whom, by whom, in whom and through whom alone mankind may still have peace. The person of Jesus Christ, I present him as the way, the truth, and the life. All in one lifetime. One person's lifetime. Regimes have come and gone. And yet at the end of the day, Mr. Muggridge says that Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ, is what really, is what life is really all about. I just appreciate some of his writing so well. Coming to, like I said, coming to Christianity late in his life, he writes a lot of good books and is encouraging to see that even after a man 
can defy the very name of Jesus Christ, could one day say, Jesus Christ is the answer. And he really is the answer for all of us. The time that you and I have is not ours. We are only stewards of the time that Jesus has given us. I encourage each one of us to embrace the divine appointments, embrace your season of life, embrace your unchangeables, and embrace God's plan for all of us. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Maybe we can stand for just a little bit to <clears throat> change positions. So Randall had asked me if I know of anyone who, uh, of, of the refugee people that we work with, who has a need, and I was just texting him back and saying, no, I don't. <laughs> but then I thought about our one neighbor, her name is Mariam. Uh, she's from Sudan. She's been here about seven years, I think. Single mother with about six, I think she has six children. Her oldest is married. The second one just graduated from high school. Um, she, she's been our neighbor for a number of years. She moved to Lancaster as a refugee. Like I said, she lived on the east side of the city for a bit in a really bad area, and, and it was really hard on her family. She her, her daughter, her youngest, was, I think, three years old when they moved into our neighborhood, and she couldn't talk. Uh, and it was really because of the fear. Like, when she moved into a safer area, she just started talking. It was amazing. It was almost a miracle. Like, she started talking. But some of the things these people go through is, is uh, hard, to, hard for us to fathom. She told stories of when she was escaping. So she lived in Sudan, and people came into their area and were burning down houses and buildings and so they were, she was running. <clears throat> Her husband, not sure where he was. She was pregnant at the time, and as she was in route, she had a baby. And, and then she, would, she talked about how that there was wild animals in the route, and children would disappear once. I think there was a mother with three children, she said, that their children wandered away and were gone and lost, you know, never found them. Um, so she comes to Lancaster, and... And uh, just a really sweet lady. Anyway, COVID hit. She had a job. She's doing pretty well supporting her family, and COVID hit, and she lost her job. She was working in, uh, at Marriott, so you can imagine she didn't have a job for a long time. Uh, I think she, she was probably out of work for at least a year, uh, and then her children had to stay home from school because of COVID, and so she had to be home to homeschool them, and there was no one else that could help her. And in that time, she was applying for assistance. You know, the government was offering assistance, and so she was applying, and she applied for this one assistance program from the federal government, not realizing she wasn't eligible. And so they gave her the money. And then, uh, so she survived, got her, she's working again. Uh, and she, I think she went to do her taxes or somehow, uh, the government told her that she owes them fifteen or $16,000. They gave her too much money. She wasn't eligible. <laughs> so you can imagine a, a single mom making $12 an hour. I think that's what she makes, something like that. Uh, six children. Some of her children work. Uh, they, they're just out of high school, but the kind of wages just don't cover, you know. And so now she has this extra $16,000 that she has to pay the government because 
she didn't know how to fill out the paperwork when she was uh, requesting whatever assistance. So uh, I thought, I, haven't, I didn't tell her we are going to help her or anything. I, I just thought, could we, as a church, help her? Um, she has, you know, I think about myself. If I'd run into a situation like that, I'd go to my dad. If my dad couldn't help, I'd go to Calvin or somebody would help me, you know. We have all kinds of people that would help, right? Uh, but some of these people have nobody. They're alone. And she's, a, you know, she, she sat in her house and talked about how lonely she is. Her family's all, her mother's in Sudan. Her mother and father were going to come with her. I think that's how it was, her mother and father. At least her mother. I think it was her mother and father. And just before she came, they decided to stay back. They just didn't want to leave the rest of the family. So she's here all alone. All her brothers and sisters are over there, and she tells us sometimes. Anyway, maybe we could just be um, a little bit of the hands of blessing in her life. Uh, so that's where the offering will be going. Um, Brandon, is there anything else? Should we just hand it off to the next person? All right, you can be seated. Thank you for participating in that. Well, good evening. I'd like to read a verse from 1 Samuel 7. 1 Samuel 7, uh, 12. It says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. This was the testimony of Samuel, and I'd just like to say it, it's uh, our testimony, too, the testimony of, of Mary and I that uh, that hitherto hath the Lord helped us. <clears throat> we haven't gone through the experience that Mel did. Mel Stoltz was shared last evening. And if you were here, I'm sure you were touched by his uh, story and his testimony of his, his life experience, especially during this, the death of his spouse. You know, we haven't had that, that kind of experience. And yet we have <clears throat> had experiences where we need the grace of God, and God has been faithful uh, to us. Randall had asked us to share about some of the milestones of our lives, and he had said that we would be welcome to do it as a couple. And so we, uh, we decided to do it that way, to do it, to do it as a couple, and, sh and uh, having never done anything quite like this before, we're not sure what to say. But uh, we, decided, we wrote some things down and we hope you find uh, them interesting. I'm going to be sharing some things about my childhood, and then uh, Mary's going to share some things about her childhood, and we're going to do some switching back and forth uh, like that, and uh, hopefully that make it uh, more interesting maybe. As I <clears throat> was thinking, about the milestones of my life and what I should talk about this evening, I had to think about the fact that the milestones of my life, uh, or milestones of life are often associated with specific times or dates. But I found that many of the things I consider milestones were the influences of people around me. Uh, influences of godly people around me and not necessarily things that I can put a specific time or date on. 
A little bit like the quote that I saw recently. It says, like other values, spiritual values are acquired through experience. Like other values, spiritual values are acquired through experience and through ex the experiences of life. And so I feel like I have gained a lot of valuable spiritual insights through the contacts of godly people around me and the influences of godly people around me. As a boy growing up in Lancaster County, my world pretty well revolved around home, church, and school. And so that, of course, is where most of the milestones of my life, early life, uh, occurred. Uh, my world was pretty small, I guess, at least by today's standards. Uh, we lived just a few miles west of here, went to church here, and I went to school across the road at the Weavertown School. So my world was pretty small. I didn't, I didn't uh, fly on a passenger jet until I was in my 40s. Now, the young people here, they probably think, my goodness, he's really backwards. But uh, that's the way it was. We didn't fly much in those days. It was too expensive. It, later, then, flying became a lot more affordable. But though my world was small, perhaps, it was a good world. We took, uh, you know, we took some road trip, but not a whole lot. I grew up on a small farmette that my father owned along Route 896, the, the property which later became Good and Plenty Restaurant. Now, probably you didn't know that, or some of you did, but many of you probably didn't know that. And probably a lot, some of you have eaten there. I ate there before it was a restaurant a lot, <laughs> and a few, a few times since. But uh, that's, I have a lot of good memories of that place, uh, playing by, in the Mill Creek, uh, which ran by the property. And in my free time, I would, <clears throat> I would find myself often going to the creek. <laughs> and had made a raft home and had a, I lived almost, I guess I could say I lived almost a Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn type of childhood, boyhood, with my homemade raft and <clears throat> also part of the time we had an inflatable raft that we enjoyed. The creek at that time was deeper than what it is now because of an Amish neighbor's dam, which isn't there anymore. Well, I had a good childhood, and I knew my parents loved me, even though that wasn't verbalized very much. As a young boy, I enjoyed reading, and books had an impact on my life. I especially remember two titles. The one was Wings of Decision, and the other was The Christian Secret of a Happy Life by Hannah Smith. Uh, Wings of Decision is a book about a young man who was a conscientious objector, and some of his experiences during one of the wars, and I'm not sure which one it was, uh, probably World War II. The Christian secret of a happy life was helpful to me because I, as I read the chapter on assurance of salvation, it resonated with me. I had, <clears throat> um, I could not point back to a specific time when I had received Christ as my savior. And so uh, I kind of struggled with some doubts. You know, am I really born again? Because I can't point back to that time. And so that, that chapter 
uh, helped me a lot uh, with assurance of salvation. My experience had been just a gradual awareness of my sinful condition and my need of a savior. And that, that was because of the teaching that I received uh, through home, school, and also at church. We didn't go away a lot. And when we did, it was often because of involvement with church family or extended family. Uh, we had grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins close by, and we often visited them. Lots, I have lots of memories of my parents going to see my mother's, my grandparents, my mother's parents, and, and others as well. We were good friends with the Enon Kaufman family, did a lot of things with them. Sam and I uh, did a lot of things. The extended family, I would say, influenced me a lot. And of course, I still have several cousins here at church that, that have influenced me for good in the past, for the most part. Those, and I would like to say those influences of grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, and also an older sister who helped keep me on the straight and narrow, you know, those are influences that can't be measured uh, or limited to a certain date or, or time. Going to Weavertown School for grades one through nine was definitely a highlight and a milestone of my life. You know, the, the spiritual values we received there are things that you can't measure in, in terms of dollars and cents. And I still remember some of the things I learned there. I still remember some of the Bible memory that we learned there. And I didn't even mention things like summer, like Sunday school, summer Bible school, uh, baptism. You know, those were all things that, that influenced me. I remember uh, thinking about summer Bible school. I remember teachers like Elmer Lapp, Paul Kaufman, Aaron Lapp, as well as others, all men and, uh, and also women that influenced my life. So I'm going to stop right there and let uh, Mary tell a little bit about her childhood. Well, if Alvin thinks his world was small, mine was even smaller. <laughs> My parents, when I, when I was born, we lived kind of in the boondocks of Holmes County. We lived um, not in Sugar Creek, but in Beach City. And it was a lot of wooded area around there. My dad had a small dairy, and he also raised turkeys and would put them out on range. And so that brought out some of the wildlife. We would see deer and fox. And at night, we'd hear the owls. And in the evening, we'd listen to the whippoorwills. I was a little Amish girl. And so we only went to church every other Sunday. And my mom was often pregnant. I mean, she had a baby every other year, every year and a half, till she had 10 children. So the mother and the children would stay home from church. In the winter, when it was cold, we didn't go away a lot. And, uh, but we had a good, a good child. I had a good childhood. We were happy. But when school, when it was time for me to go to school, it was very exciting. I remember my mother telling me that the, on my first day of school, when I ran out the lane to meet the bus, I kicked my heels so high that I almost kicked myself. <laughs> 
And I think um, pretty much that's how we move forward in life with enthusiasm because we were very adventurous and we loved new experiences. And so it was always with enthusiasm and confidence that we moved forward when there was a new opportunity. So um, anyway, I kind of went off my script here a little bit. Um, so I have to get back here. When I was in uh, third grade, oh, I went to public school because there were no private schools in the area around at that time. I don't know of any Amish schools. And, and so we went to public school and um, until I was in third grade, then my parents moved to the Sugar Creek area. And there I went to a country school. It was made up of the neighborhood children. They were all Amish, except one Mennonite family. It, we had a public school curriculum and a public school teacher, but it was a one-room Amish school, and that's where I finished up through eighth grade. So it was during the time um, that I was in, in that school that my parents left the Amish church. I was 11 at the time, and it was at this time that the Beachy churches started up, and my parents, Ben and Anna Mullet, were a part of that movement. It was an exciting time for me, and I have many fond memories of things that transpired during those times. I went to Lancaster Mennonite High School for grades 10 through 12 and graduated um, there in 1965. So that was a highlight for me. Uh, I enjoyed the, my years of, of high school. The school was a lot different then from what it is now, by the way. It was a lot more conservative. Uh, girls were required at that time to wear cape dresses and wear coverings. Boys had to wear long sleeve shirts. And that's hard to imagine now when you uh, see pictures of uh, Adam H. But that's the way it was at that time. And uh, the, I would say, Bible and music, and I think Ken would probably attest to this too. He, he also went to, we were in the same grade. But Bible and music were two subjects that were very helpful uh, to me in, in later life. They had some very good Bible uh, teachers. And of course, one of the teachers that stands out is Myron Dietz, and a lot of people have heard about him or know, have known him. He's not living any longer. But singing in, in school choruses and then also later in, in a choral group outside of school you know, just helped me to enjoy and appreciate uh, good music. I would say that being in a youth group at church was also a milestone for me. <coughs> uh, just being involved with <clears throat> Excuse me. Just being involved with uh, youth Bible studies, tract distribution, uh, chorus practices, and chorus programs at different places. Those were all things that that uh, I enjoyed, and that just were times of social and spiritual development uh, in my life. So I'm thankful for the good experiences I had in the youth group, especially when I hear of some of the experiences of other people and what they had in their youth. And it, it's what a blessing it is 
just to be able to look back on your youth and not have regrets. It, it, it's a, that is a huge blessing um, and was a huge blessing for me. Okay, my Christian life started when I accepted Christ at the age of 12 at a revival meeting. We had a lot of revival meetings, or so it seemed to me, at least once a year. They lasted two weeks every night, and everyone went every night unless you had an emergency. We were blessed and eager to learn. We heard teaching like we had never heard before, and many children and youth accepted Christ during these meetings. I was baptized at age 13, which was a little young, but I was ready and it brought me great joy and a great desire for the word of God and to live for him. And then, maybe I'll, I think I was supposed to give that the last time. And then um, I had a desire to be a nurse. Well, maybe I should say too, after um, I just took a high school correspondence course, so I didn't have I wouldn't consider it a great high school education, but I had a desire to be a nurse uh, and also a missionary. And um, maybe partly because I loved adventure. And God used these desires to steer me in a broader and more useful direction. So when I was 18, my parents allowed me to go to nurses training in Virginia with my aunt, who was 20 years older then. Now, we went to Virginia because we wouldn't have been accepted in the schools in Ohio without a high school degree, high school diploma. But in, in Virginia, some of the, there was, were several schools there. So we applied there and we were accepted. So she and I went to Virginia and this was one big adventure for me. We went to Waynesboro, Virginia, which is close to Stuart Strap. We got to know some very nice people there. This greatly broadened my horizons. We went to Faith Mission Home and Aroda a lot on Sundays during that year. Faith Mission was just opening up. I remember when there were workers there, but no children, and some of the workers were youth from Lancaster County, who we became good friends with later on. Little did I know that a few years later, I would marry a guy from Lancaster County and live there, and that my daughter would marry someone that I met at Mountain View, uh, namely Noah and Anna Mae Yoder. They weren't even dating at the time. But when Christy started dating this Ken from, she said, oh, he's just from this little church in Virginia, and you won't know who it is. And I said, well, what are their names? And I was like, oh, yeah, I know them. <laughs> I know their parents. And so, you know, God was just, it's just um, a tapestry that God weaves uh, out of our lives and, and bringing things together in a way that we couldn't plan. So they, uh, Ken and Christy are married, and they have seven children, and they live in Washington County. During that year, I was away from home. My mother wrote to me regularly. She always had the same verse at the head of the letter. It was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. 
These verses have become um, a guide for me, an encouragement to me, and help put me back on the path to look to the Lord, to trust the Lord in times of uncertainty, and to wait for his leading. <clears throat> At age 19, then I went to River Forest Nursing Home in Three Rivers, Michigan. For two years of service, there was a military draft in effect at that time because of the Vietnam War. And so as um, so young boys uh, were being drafted and either had to go into military service or then into some kind of alternative service. So as a conscientious objector, I had the privilege of going to a Christian VS unit um, for two years and I went to River Forest Nursing Home in Three Rivers, Michigan. It was a home that had been started by Dave Bontrager of Indiana as a place where young boys as well as girls could go for a time of service. Those two years were good years for me. I enjoyed them very much. Uh, just interacting with other young people, um, working with other Christian young people, um, doing new things, seeing new places, going new places, interacting with some of the beachy churches of northern Indiana, and the staff would sometimes give programs uh, at some of those churches. Those were all things that were, I would say, stepping stones, milestones in my life, and uh, good times of interaction. Um, River Forest was also the, the place where I met my wife. Mary was one of the nurses uh, at the home, and we had started dating in the spring of 1968. And then in the fall of 1968, I was finished with my time of service, and I moved to northern Indiana, got a job, and boarded with a family from the Hebron Church. And I would look forward to weekends and going to Michigan um, to be with Mary and other friends. Mary and I have a lot of old friends from that time of our lives, uh, friends that seemed like when we get together, not often, but we, when we get together, it seemed like we just take off right where we take, go on right where we had left off. After I graduated from nursing school, I went back home to Holmes County. I was very excited to go back home to my family and friends. I got a job at a local hospital and enjoyed nursing very much. But it was a very worldly atmosphere and it did have an influence on me. I got restless and friendships had changed and I found it hard to readjust to the youth group. When I was asked to come to River Forest Home in Michigan where there was a VS unit, I was ready to accept. God was leading me. I had no idea at all where it would take me. I was at Ruhr Forest a total of 14 months. I was the first Mennonite nurse on staff there. I enjoyed the work and soon made many friends. I was attracted to a young man there who was quite popular and recommended by several of my friends. So when he asked me for a date, I was quite happy to accept and that started our journey together. Probably the biggest milestone of all was, of course, in April of 1969 when Mary and I got married at the Maranatha Church in Holmes County, 
which was uh, Mary's home church. We stayed living in Indiana because for eight more years after we were married, I had my job, we liked the area, we liked the, the people, the church. Uh, we were members there at Hebron Christian Fellowship and enjoyed the fellowship there, heard very good messages there. Three of our children were born there, but after we had the three children, we, we felt the need for more involvement with family, more involvement with uh, grandparents, such like. So we decided to move to Lancaster, and the reason being that my family was small, we felt that like my parents would sometime need our help, and which is what happened, and then they lived at one, one end of our house for almost 10 years, and uh, we took care of them there. We, we enjoyed life in Indiana. We were young and adventurous. God blessed us with three children while we lived there. I must say having small children was more of a challenge than I expected, and I didn't have a mom close by to go to for help or advice. So of course, um, we had some trials and disappointments, and after a while, especially I, became lonely for family, so we decided to move to Pennsylvania. We had one more child here, and he is the only one of our children still living in Lancaster. It was a challenge and an adjustment moving to Lancaster. So many people, and most of them strangers. <laughs> we were very thankful for our Bible study. They invite us, invited us to join right away, and we are still in that Bible study with that group, although it has changed some over the years. We were also very thankful for cousins. Alv's cousins invited us to do things with them, and that meant a lot to us and helped us in our adjustment. Thinking about Indiana, yet for myself, I enjoyed Indiana, the wide open spaces and all, and Moving away was an adjustment uh, for us, but we have really enjoyed our time here in Lancaster and appreciate Weavertown very much and feel at home here. One thing I didn't mention about Indiana was that we were in the lot one time out there for minister, uh, or was it deacon? It was deacon. For deacon, and that was totally unexpected for me. I didn't expect that, and it was, it was a time of soul searching for me and uh, just... Uh, searching what God really uh, wanted and expected of our lives. And then being in the lot one time here at Weavertown was also a time of uh, soul-searching soul for, for us. Okay. Um, then the next thing that was happening was that our children started getting married, and we became grandparents. And then our children started moving away, it keeps us busy going to see them and them coming to our house for weekends or special occasions. We have one child in Florida, one in Washington County, and one in Connecticut. We still have one in Lancaster, which we appreciate very much. As we get older, we start depending on our children instead of them depending on us. We feel like our children are extensions of us and we trust that through them, the light of Christ is shining brightly throughout the world. I would say that for us as a family, um, 
one of our the milestones of our lives was a family trip to Haiti. Mary had been to Haiti with a medical team that Anna Mary um, Ebersole used to go with. And so Mary, they invited, I believe they invited Mary to go along one time and Jesse Fisher, some of you remember him, he was along too to help with whatever needed to be helped with. And when she came, when she came back, she said, when Mary came home, she said, the family needs to go to Haiti and see this. <laughs> uh, she had never been in a third world country before and none of us as a family had ever been in a third world country. And she just felt like we need to see, the rest of the family needs to see what some of the world, how some of the world lives. And uh, so we, in a, in a couple years after that we did, we went to Haiti and uh, all except Christy who was already married at that, at that time and stayed with Mary's brother James and his family who was serving in Haiti under uh, Christian aid ministries. <clears throat> I guess we, we felt that trip just really helped to open our children's eyes to the needs of the world and just to see how other people live. And also, uh, I think it, it helped uh, to give them a heart for missions. Rosetta later then spent about a year and a half in Haiti, and Arlen, of course, spent about 16 years in, in Guatemala. Another, I would say another highlight of, for our family has been our annual camping trip. Just, uh, we still do that. You will be going in July, just an, a, a camping trip where we uh, go to Potter County, some in campers, some in tents, <clears throat> some in the cabin, and just enjoy a good time together. Sunday morning, we usually have our own church service and share together. So that's been a highlight for us as a, as a family. Okay, another milestone for me was when we had the shop in the village of Dutch Delights. It was a very enjoyable experience for me most of the time. Les Kings gave us this opportunity. I enjoyed getting to know them and Dave King and his family through that. We had also gotten to know Dave and Marianne uh, when we were youth advisors with them back in the day. But we have uh, felt a little closer to their family because of the interactions we had through work. I felt like having the business was like the mission field came to us. We had so many opportunities to share our faith in Christ. And, and so, you know, I'm just, I just want to say that it's, you don't have to go on the mission field to witness and to share. We have opportunities right here where we are to share Christ. And uh, we should take those opportunities and see those opportunities. And then taking care of dads was another milestone. Um, it was, uh, we, we felt called to do that. It was stretching, and some of you know well that, you know, that it was stretching for us at times and wearing. But we're glad that we did that. We have good, had good times, and we made good memories. And one thing um, that I think I learned was that as we get older, it will make it a lot easier for those who care for us if we are agreeable and if we uh, just listen to our children, <laughs> go along with their plan. And so 
we're working on that now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that pretty well wraps it up for what we want to share. Seems like kind of seems like a biography, and uh, but it, it I think it was a lot of the lot of the highlights of our lives, not all, but we know that the biggest adventure, the biggest highlight, the biggest milestone is yet to come, is it not? When God calls us home to be with him, that will be the biggest milestone of our lives for sure, and uh, the biggest adventure of our lives also. <laughs> I think that's it. Thank you for listening. <laughs>